Good morning, everyone. Uh, our reading today comes from the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. If we're using the Bibles in the pews, that's on page 1187. And we're going to start reading at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul and Silas and Timothy have been forced to leave Thessalonica rather hurriedly. And here Paul expresses his feelings about having to leave this baby church so suddenly. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So, when I could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, just as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labor might have been in vain. But Timothy has now just come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning and join in the worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd like us, as we begin, to focus on a couple of verses from that really lovely reading that we had from Mike a moment ago. Listen again to 219 
and then 3.11 through 13. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And 3.11 through 13. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes together with all his holy ones. From those verses in this passage, I'd like us to consider this thought this morning. Our hope that Jesus will return should compel us to pray for and to love and encourage each other in the midst of the very real trials we experience in life. Our hope that Jesus is coming again is part of what encourages us to love and pray for each other in the midst of suffering. Let's pray together before looking at this text. Gracious and merciful God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, our brother, Holy Spirit, our encourager, comforter, and exhorter, speak this morning through these words. Some of us, O oh God, are in the midst of suffering. May your word bring us encouragement as we are reminded of the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. This is an especially difficult text to preach, I have to confess. When you jump into a text like this and just select a few verses, it's always important to think about the larger context in which those verses occur. And as it happens, this short passage is right at the center of this entire letter. The very important things that Paul has to say to the church at Thessalonica are tied up and bound together in these statements here, not least in verses 11 through 13 in chapter 3. But we don't have enough time this morning to preach through the entire letter. So I'd like to start by thinking a little bit about some of that background and context, and then moving into some of the key points in keeping with our theme right now of thinking about how the prayers that we find in Paul's letters are actually there to help us learn to pray. So a bit of background. Paul, as Mike has already alluded to, he stole some of the thunder already, Paul is writing to a very new church. Mike called it a baby church, and that is exactly right. 
These people had only been believers for a very few months. If you'd like to know more, you can see some of what's going on here in Acts 17. This gives us some helpful information to understand the situation. In Acts 17, we learn that Paul and Silas had come to this Greek city, Thessalonica, a great city of its time. And after preaching for about three weeks, they not only founded a church there, but that church came under intense persecution to the point that the church actually sent Paul and Silas away to a different city in order to protect them. Now here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul refers to this persecution and he speaks of even being separated from this young church at the very beginning of the passage that was read earlier. It seems, however, that even after Paul and Silas had left the church, the persecution that the church was facing from the people of their community continued. Some of the believers in Thessalonica had even died, perhaps as a direct result of that persecution. Sometimes we need to remember that these ancient cities were a bit like St. Andrews, not very large, huge by their own day perhaps, but in reality, not very large. Everyone knew everyone's business. The people who were persecuting these early Christians were their neighbors and perhaps even their former friends. Now, a few points are clear as we look at this text. First, Paul is anxious to find out how this church is holding up in the midst of the persecution that they're facing. He sends Timothy, one of his fellow workers, back to the city to encourage the church and find out exactly how things are going. Second, he's genuinely worried. Paul is worried that the believers in this new church might have given up their faith in Jesus because of the suffering and persecution that they're facing. But third, Timothy has just returned, and he's brought with him some very good news. This is part of what sparks Paul to sit down and write this letter together with Silas. Timothy has returned to say that the believers in Thessalonica have remained strong in the midst of the persecution that they were facing. And in Paul's joy and relief, he then offers prayers of thanksgiving for the Thessalonians right in the middle of this letter. Now, we are eventually going to turn our attention to verses 11 through 13 of chapter 3 in particular. <clears throat> but before we move there, I think it's good to pause here for a moment and consider the fact that our perseverance in the midst of trials can be a great encouragement 
to others in the body of Christ. Paul is encouraged by the news that the Thessalonians are standing firm in their faith. And this leads him to rejoice and give thanks to God himself. Sisters and brothers, we should not be surprised by trials. I'm not saying it's not natural to have that feeling. But ultimately, we ought not to be surprised. We of all people know that this is life in a broken and fallen world. And in the midst of that broken and fallen reality, our endurance is a witness to the Lord and an encouragement to others. Now, I am not suggesting for one minute that that makes it easier. But there is a time and a space for us to stop and reflect on the reality that in the midst of our suffering, we are giving witness to our Lord. And that is a moment of encouragement. How we persevere is a testimony to Jesus himself, the one who endured trials no less than the crucifixion because he loved us. But let's turn, as I said earlier, and focus in a bit on verses 11 through 13. Here we find Paul explicitly offering prayer for the Thessalonians. And this prayer is one more way in which Paul aims to help them as they continue to face persecution. Paul's prayer asks God to help the church grow in its love for one another, in its holiness, and in its hope for the Lord's return. But what can these verses teach us then about prayer? First, notice that Paul's prayer is, exactly as it should be, directed to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is important for us to remember here that the perseverance that the Thessalonians are showing in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their trial, is not just them pulling themselves up by their own moral bootstraps. It's not simply them saying, we're just going to stand firm. It is actually God at work within them. And that means that the right place to direct these prayers 
is not to give thanks to the Thessalonians that they stood firm, but to give thanks to the God who is at work in them, helping them to endure in the midst of their suffering. It is also important for us to see here that when we or others whom we know are in the midst of suffering, we can go to our Father and to our brother on their behalf. Paul teaches this congregation something about praying in the midst of persecution by pointing them to their Father. Our prayers are addressed to the Almighty God himself, the one who is, the one who sent his Son precisely to save us from this fallen and broken reality. But there's more that we can see here in this very address that begins Paul's prayer in verse 11. By addressing God as Father, Paul's prayer reminds us that truly we are a family and that we need to pray for each other. This is picking up on a theme that we heard about last week from our brother Paul Grinier. As he went through Colossians, he pointed out at a couple of places the ways in which Paul presents the church not as a group of random people drawn together, but as a family. And indeed, this idea runs straight through the letter to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians verse, chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, Paul actually describes himself and his fellow workers as if they were a nursing mother caring for her children. This, he says, is how we care for you, Thessalonians. A mother caring for her children. He goes on in verses 11 to 12 to talk about being like a father who deals with his children to encourage and exhort them. Paul presents himself as a mother and as a father to this young baby church. This is not an accident. He is not just randomly drawing these ideas in to make a nice point about how we should all get along. Paul is intentionally reflecting on the reality that within the church, those who follow Jesus Christ become a family. Some of us have been mothers and fathers to each other. All of us are sisters and brothers to one another. And indeed, Paul uses the language of brother and sister frequently 
throughout 1 Thessalonians, even as we saw in Colossians last week. But as we think back to verses 11 through 13, we see God as our Father. And then within this family relationship, the need for us to love and encourage each other. Just as Paul did as a mother, as a father, so too we are to love each other. And Paul prays explicitly in this passage that those in Thessalonica, in the midst of their persecution and suffering, would remember that they are part of this family, that they need to show love for one another and care for one another, even as Paul and Silas and Timothy themselves have done for them. And there is a lesson in that for us today. We are not alone when we face trials and difficulties of many kinds. We are part of the family of God. And if you are not right now facing trials, you can pray and love and encourage those who are as a mother, as a father, as a sister, as a brother. But if you are facing trials at this very moment, you can know that as part of the body of Christ, there are family members who are praying for you. You are not alone. We are not supposed to come to church and pretend that we have to face things on our own. We are not to imagine that God calls us to bear up by ourselves and never to be a burden to others. Sometimes the wider world tells us that that's how we should be. Stoic, standing firm, don't let your guard down, don't let anyone in. This is between you and whatever, and you have to get through it. That is not a Christian way of thinking about suffering. When we come into the church, when we join the family of God, we join others who are suffering. And in the midst of that suffering, we encourage one another. And we pray to our Father, even as our brother intercedes for us. He who knows our suffering sometimes even better than we know it ourselves is praying for us. And so we should love one another. That is part of Paul's prayer in this passage. And our love for each other is partly expressed 
as we pray together to our Father and to our brother for each other. But there's a third thing that we can learn from this short passage in chapter 3. Paul's prayer teaches us that we should take seriously the threat that trials present in our lives. This prayer takes suffering seriously just to the extent that it calls us to continue to walk in holiness and to hope for the Lord's return. Now I mentioned earlier that this prayer stands right at the center of the entire letter. If we were to continue preaching through the letter of 1 Thessalonians, we would see that in the very next chapter, the first thing that Paul addresses is being holy. Exactly what he is praying for here in verses 11 through 13. And after he has talked a bit about what he thinks it means to be holy in that context, the very next thing he addresses is the hope of the Lord's return. This prayer, these verses, are right at the heart of this letter. And if you would like this week, you can take these verses and read all of 1 Thessalonians with them in mind and see how this section holds the entire letter together. But as I mentioned, we don't have time to work through all those details. One thing I think we can, however, see in the time we have this morning is that Paul is taking suffering seriously when he calls, when he prays to the Father to help this congregation be holy and blameless. There are times when we can imagine, not unlike as I mentioned a moment ago, that we are suffering on our own and that when we come to church, we need to paint a smile on because we must be joyful. We must not let others see the actual pain that we're experiencing at the moment. Sometimes we can give the impression that suffering really shouldn't be taken that seriously. But right here, by praying that the Thessalonians would be strengthened so that they can continue to be blameless and holy in the midst of their suffering, Paul is recognizing that suffering can become a powerful temptation to turn away and abandon the living God. And this is no joke. The call to blamelessness and holiness is one way in which Paul is encouraging this congregation not to give up on Jesus. He is taking their suffering seriously. 
He knows that the tempter is tempting them. He knows that in the midst of that suffering, one of the easiest things that they could do is walk away from their confession about Jesus. One of the easiest things that they can do is go right back to living the way that they lived before they heard the good news about salvation in Jesus Christ. One of the easiest things that they could do is go back to their friends and neighbors and say, you're right, we're done with that. We want to be who we always used to be. And that is why Paul is encouraging them to be holy. This is not a glib exhortation. This is an exhortation that takes seriously the real pressures that this congregation is facing as they experience suffering. One way, sisters and brothers, that we can encourage each other in the midst of trials is to pray that our Father would help those whom we see suffering live and act in ways that are consistent with our confession that Jesus is Lord. Holiness. Yes, there are some specifics that Paul is going to deal with, and you can continue to read that in in chapter 4. But for our purposes this morning, it is essential to see that in calling for holiness, Paul is not trying to berate or beat up a congregation that is suffering. He is taking their suffering seriously and calling them in the midst of that suffering, calling on God to help them be who they claim to be. But there's a fourth point that we can see in this prayer. Paul reminds us that our real hope is in the future. It is this future orientation that ultimately drives the prayers and encouragement and exhortation that Paul offers to this beleaguered community of believers in Jesus. When the Lord Jesus returns, he will come with all of his holy ones. And think back to 2.19 again. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it, Paul says, not you? Indeed, you, suffering believer, you are our joy and glory, says Paul. Our hope lies in the future when the Lord Jesus will return and reunite us with all those who have gone 
before us. Again, if you continue to read through 1 Thessalonians, you will see that Paul is addressing this very problem, especially at the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5. The Thessalonians appear in the midst of that persecution to have lost some of those who believed in Jesus. And they are grieving. And Paul says, grieve, but not as those without hope. There is a hope. And the hope that we have is one of the most important things that we can remind each other of when we are facing trials. It is no accident that Paul spends so much time in the rest of the letter reminding and teaching the Thessalonians that Jesus is going to return. And when Jesus returns, he says, those who have died, those about whom this congregation is grieving, will be resurrected from the dead. Those who are alive will be transformed. And so, Paul says, shall we all be with each other and with the Lord. We are, Paul says, to encourage each other with these words. So we'll spend a little more time thinking about this. We saw earlier how Paul intentionally wants to develop within his congregations the idea that they are family. Paul calls us as family to love each other, to encourage each other, to exhort each other. Much of this prayer has been doing that very thing. But what about when suffering comes to members of the family? What about when members of the family die? Suffering, it's real. We live in a fallen and broken world and all of us are going to face it in one way or another while our Lord continues to tarry. But the good news of the gospel, or at least part of the good news of the gospel, is that there's going to be a family reunion. And this is what we look forward to. Jesus is not just going to come again. Hallelujah, he's coming again. But he will bring with him all the saints. Can you imagine that day? <laughs> One day, the trumpet will sound, and our Lord will descend from heaven, and he will bring with him all those whom he has kept safe through the millennia. 
and there will be a family reunion. And there's going to be a reunion and a party like we've never seen before. And so shall we always be with the Lord. We encourage each other, sisters and brothers, with these words. Death is real, but it's not the victor. Jesus is Lord, and those whom we have lost are coming back again, not because they can pull themselves out of the grave, but because when Jesus comes back, he will raise them up first. Paul's prayer. A prayer to God the Father that reminds us of love, the need for holiness, and the great hope that we have in the midst of suffering applies to every one of us this morning. You may not be facing trials right now. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But you can show your love by praying for those in the family who are suffering. Give thanks for them. Love them. Encourage them. And if you are in the midst of suffering right now, blessed be the name of the Lord. You are not alone. Indeed, as you endure, one of the great mysteries is that you are giving praise and glory to the Lord Jesus himself. And others are encouraged at that witness. But in addition to that, know that others in the family are going to God, our Father. They are going to Jesus, our brother, on your behalf. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give up striving to be holy. Don't stop living in accordance with the confession that Jesus is Lord. And remember the great hope that is ours. Jesus is coming back again. And he's not going to come on his own. He will bring with him all those who have gone before. All of our suffering will then be past. And so shall we always be with the Lord. Encourage one another. 
sisters and brothers with these words. Amen.